0: How's it going, guys? Ooh, yeah. That good, huh? Y'all, like, get out of school next week. Y'all know that, right? Yeah, yeah. It, winter quarter's weird. Um, but, man, I am so glad that you are here tonight Um, And just super excited what the Lord's doing here at FIRST. Um, If this is your first time here, man, we are so glad that you are here uh, this evening. My name is Chase Sanders. I'm a college pastor here at FIRST. And man, this is one of my favorite things I get to do is be with you guys. Uh, Not necessarily preach, but just to be with you guys. Um, Because man, the Lord just works and moves through college students. um, And I'm super excited to see what he does tonight um, through his word so if you haven't been with us for the past week, we have a two-week mini-series going on. Um, and so last week we talked about how God sent His Son for us. So how God sent His Son and He came, left heaven, came to earth, lived a perfect life, died a death on a cross, rose again from the grave for our sins, and, and proved that He was God alone. And He did all this for us so that we could have an opportunity to have salvation uh, through His death, burial, and resurrection. So that's kind of like the gist of what we talked about last week. We are in John chapter 3 last week, um, and man, the Lord is just so faithful with that um, because he showed us how much he loved and cared for us even when we did not deserve it. Today we're going to see that not only did Jesus come uh, to die on a, on a cross for our sins, but he also came to show us how we ought to live. He came to show, hey, how his, his followers were to move and, and to, to follow after him. So not only did God send his son, but we are going to see tonight that God sends his followers, um, you and me in the room uh, tonight, and show what we are to do as followers of Christ, what our responsibility is in the mission of God. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter, mostly 10, but at the very end of 9 to start off with. Um, So if you want to flip there, we would love for you to. And uh, if you don't have your Bible or anything, the verses will be up on the screen. So we'll be in Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35. I'm just going to wait on you guys because I don't want to start reading too quick. And honestly, coolest sound in the world for a preacher, just throwing just this out here. This is just a little extra n- nugget. It's like 100 people flipping through their Bibles. Um, like There's nothing like it, and you can't hear it from where you're sitting, but I can, and it's just super cool. Anyways, that's a little extra. Matthew 9, verse 35 to start out. We're going to pause right there. We'll pick up in chapter 10 here in a moment. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, we are so thankful for your word. We are so thankful that you love us enough to provide an insight into your love for us and your purpose for us. Lord, that you have provided all that we need through your word. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, we pray tonight as we dig in, Lord, that you would just reveal yourself to us. Lord, that you would challenge and convict us where we need to be challenged and convicted. Lord, that we would truly draw closer to you tonight. And Lord, we just pray that your name would be glorified tonight. It's your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. So as we jump into Matthew 9, um, kind of what's happened so far in Matthew is described at the very first verse, in verse 35. It says Jesus was going around teaching and preaching and healing in different cities and villages and synagogues along the way. As he was doing this, um, he began to see a a just a truth that remains truth to us today: that the people that he was going to teach and preach and heal, that they were harassed, helpless, and like sheep without a shepherd. So he's saying he sees these people and he has this compassion upon them. And this compassion, this word that we find um, in the original Greek text, it literally means like there's a movement inside of him. If you want to get like real truthful what it means, it means a movement in the bowels of a human. It, it means like there is, he sees these people and he is moved to a point of action. It's not just like he saw something and is like, man, I feel bad for that. But he says no, he has moved to the point where he has to do something about it. He has compassion on them. This setting, is, it's always a very interesting text to me. As, as we see, like Jesus, is, he's teaching, he's preparing his disciples, like he's going through the places, proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand. And as he has this compassion for these people that are without hope, without purpose, without direction... He looks at his disciples, and he says, man, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And if we pause right now, right, in my mind, what I think Jesus should say next is, therefore, go and be laborers, right? That makes sense, doesn't it? Okay, Uh, blank stares across the room. Um, So that's what, like, makes sense to me. is is he would look at his disciples and say, man, all right, you see the field out there, now go get into it. But is that what he says? Y'all can answer. No, he doesn't, right? He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. We're good there. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So he looks at his disciples, his followers, and he looks at them and say, okay, you see the brokenness in the world around you. And look, man, the harvest is plentiful, like it is ready for the taking. Pray earnestly. Which brings us to our first point that we'll see today, is that God sends his followers to pray for the lost. That God sends us to pray for the lost. This is always like, I think, just a really cool passage of Scripture because Jesus is trying to align the disciples' hearts as well as their actions. So I think what happens here, this is my speculation, I think two things happen when we begin to pray for the people around us. First, I think what's really cool here, he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest. It reminds us of whose the harvest is. And it's the Lord's. It can be really easy as followers of Christ and knowing the mission of God to say, man, I am going to go and do the work all by myself. I'm going to have the best strategy. I'm going to have the best ideas. I'm going to go into this organization. I'm going to reach them for the gospel, which are all good things. But we must be reminded that the harvest is the Lord's. God is the one who gives the growth. And so, by telling his disciples to pray to the Lord of the harvest, he's reminding them of who sits on the throne, who owns the fields, and who they should depend on before they go out. And I think the second thing that praying for the harvest, praying for laborers to go into the harvest, it does something else in them, it changes them. Because as they begin to pray for the lost, as they begin to pray for people to go out into the field that is ripe for harvest, their focus becomes on, man, there is such a great opportunity to reach the people around me with the gospel. Why shouldn't I go? I think (laughs) I've seen it put that it's one of the sneakiest verses in scripture. Because as we pray to the Lord of the harvest for laborers to go, we begin to recognize that we are called to be laborers that go. As we begin to pray for people, as we begin to pray for the loss around us, a compassion begins to dwell within us for these people. They're not just numbers on a page, but they are friends. They are family. They are people that we love and care for. And so it begins to change in us a passion for these people. And not only does it change us, but it begins to change them too, because remember who's the harvest is. It's the Lord's. So as we pray to him, as we approach the throne room of grace, and say, Lord, come down, he hears us. And he begins to work on their lives as well. He begins to, to prepare the fields to cause the growth, to to remove the questions that they might have or the hesitations that they have so that you, when you approach them with the message of the gospel, they're ready to receive it. I truly think that we think prayer is like a secondary action as followers of Christ. Prayer is something we need to do when we've tried everything else. But this is literally the priority and the first thing that Jesus calls his followers to do when he looks at a broken world around them. He says, pray earnestly. As we begin to just think about this tonight, I, I just want to ask and propose a question for you. Do you pray diligently and earnestly for the people around you that don't know Christ? And if we're all being honest, even if we do this, we probably don't do it enough. But that is the, the draw, and what Jesus is calling us to do is, as he sends us, he first sends us to the throne room of grace and says, pray. Remind yourself of who the harvest is, and go. One thing that has been really, really just like cool to me as I've like studied over the last few years of like different revivals and awakenings that has happened in our country, but also just across the world. As we see a lot of like similar threads that run through these things, um, and one of the main ones that like never ceases to exist when revivals break out is that there is a movement of prayer before the revival breaks out. The Lord draws people to pray for those around them and have a heart and a brokenness for the people around them. We see this not only in history, but we see this biblically. We see this in Acts 1 and 2. The day before Pentecost, we have 120 people up in an upper room, and they are praying that the Spirit would fall. And the next day, the Spirit falls. 3,000 people are added to the church. We went from 120 to 3,120. And it all started and all was rooted in the prayers of the disciples and followers of Christ. Prayer precedes these things. In, in our history, in American history, we've seen over the past 200 years, like dozens of awakenings and revivals, uh, usually across college campuses. And they almost always started when three or four people said, man, I'm going to go pray for this campus. And we've seen dorm rooms, we've seen study rooms be transformed into prayer rooms. And then we see thousands of people come to know Christ or surrender to the mission, or to be a missionary, to surrender to to pastoral ministry. And it started with three or four. The Billy Graham uh, movement in the 70s and 80s. It all started when four people came into Billy Graham's office and said, hey, I have an idea. Let us pray about it. And they spent hours in prayer. And then we see one of the greatest movements of God in our recent history. Prayer has always been at the forefront of movements of God. So the question is, are we praying for him to move or are we just waiting for him to move? Michael Gleason, who uh, wrote a book, it's called uh, When God Stepped on Campus. It's very historical. You probably won't like it, but it's really cool for me. In um, it, he says, history has demonstrated the fact that when God desires to bring about an awakening, he moves his people to pray. History has demonstrated the fact that when God desires to bring about an awakening, he moves his people to pray. This is the heartbeat of a movement of God and it's prayer. And yet it's something we often delegate to, man, if we have time. Or when it's our last resort. But Jesus calls us to go there first. He doesn't call us only to pray, but he definitely calls us to pray. The second thing that we see in this text is that God doesn't only send us to pray for the lost, but he also sends us to proclaim the message of salvation. We see this picking up in chapter 10, verse 1. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot. And Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his Food. in whatever town or village you enter find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart so as we continue in this text we see kind of a movement right like jesus has this compassion on the people he sees that the fields are ripe for harvest he calls his followers to pray diligently for them And then we see, and and we have to recognize that Matthew's gospel is very topical in nature, in essence. And so, like, we're not going from, like, point A to point B, like we would typically read um, a story. But typically we're saying, man, all right, the field was ripe for harvest. Let's see what he does to send people out into the harvest. So it is kind of topical, um, because we really believe at this point in chapter 10, like, his disciples have been called a long time ago, but he's just, like, bringing it up for the first time um, and naming them and saying, hey, these are the people that Christ has called to follow after him. And we see that in other gospels, that usually that happens a little earlier um, in the the, the gospel story. But as we go into this, it's very clear to see that man, his his goal for his disciples were not just to sit and learn under him. His goal for his disciples were to be sent out and to go into the harvest and reap. And I, I truly believe like this is the thing that we probably struggle with the most as followers of Christ is that we, man, we see the harvest, we see that it's plentiful, and we're like, man, somebody's got to go. Someone will. Like, there's been pastors, there's been missionaries, they go. But man, the call to be a follower of Christ is a call to adopt the mission that he gives us. And that mission is to proclaim the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth. He tells this original group, he says, man, go into this area, It's very specific, and it's for this group at this time. He says, go amongst the people of Israel, go unto them, preach the gospel, preach that the kingdom of God is at hand, that that Jesus is the Messiah. Heal their their physical needs, but also their spiritual needs, the, the oppression that is on them, the evil spirits that are upon them, and declare the kingdom of God is at hand. This is the mission that he sends his followers on. And the mission remains true for us today. Our mission's just been expanded. It's actually even expanded in the book of Matthew as we see in the end in chapter 28. He does not only call them to the people of Israel, but then he calls them to the ends of the world. He calls them to go to all nations, all peoples. He says, go and make disciples. The same mission that he gives to these 12 is gonna be given to his followers at the end of his life as well. And it's going to be given to us also. The word we see for uh, disciples here is actually the word apostle. Um, We see this in in verse 2. Apostle is a really cool word we hear thrown around a lot. Um, But in the the original Greek, the word apostolos, again, it's not that crazy. We just take our words from them. Um, It literally means either a messenger or one who is sent on a mission. A messenger or one who is sent on a mission. It's derived from a word that literally means the sent ones. And while these twelve were called the apostles because they experienced Jesus and they were given a mission for him, we are to live as apostles here today and say, man, I have been given a mission. I'm going to go and do it. We are to be sent out ones. People that understand the mission of God and don't just understand it, but go and do it. Because man, you if you are a college student today or if you're not a college student today, if you are in a position, the Lord has placed you there for his kingdom purposes. Because he wants to see you reach your coworkers, reach your classmates, reach your roommates for the gospel. That is the mission that he has bestowed upon you. Will you be faithful? One uh, quote I heard about this, I was reading it uh, with a couple of guys. It's in The Master Plan of Evangelism. If you don't know what that book is, you should go read it. It's great, and it's really short, um, which makes it even better. Um, But, man, it's by Robert Coleman. And he was actually talking about this passage specifically. And he says, Christian disciples are sent men and women. They are sent. Sent out in the same work of world evangelism to which the Lord was sent. And for which he gave his life to. Evangelism is not optional; is not an optional accessory to our life, but it is the heartbeat of all that we are called to be and do. Let me read those last two sentences because I don't think y'all heard it. Um, evangelism is not an optional accessory to our life, but it is the heartbeat of all that we are called to be and do. If we read through the scriptures, there is no vagueness. There is no ambiguity. There is none of it. That as followers of Christ, we think that we can't, that we're not called to do this. That we are not called to share the gospel. That we are not called to make disciples. It's clear. It's abundantly clear. That's our mission and that's our purpose is to bring glory to God through the message of his Son and the hope that we have in him. It's clear: we can make it as whatever we want to. We can talk ourselves out of it, we can rationalize ourselves out of doing it. But the truth is, evangelism is at the heartbeat of what a Christian is, because we want to share and show what God has done for us. One verse in here that I thought was really cool it says, What has been given to you for free, give to others for free. We have been given a free gift of grace that we can have a relationship with Jesus Christ by believing in Him, believing in the work that He's accomplished. We can have that gift and it costs us very little. Are we willing to give that gift to others? It's free. Will we pass it along? Because the truth is, guys, if you are in this room and you are a follower of Christ, someone passed that message along to you. Someone gave you the message of the gospel so that you could come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Will you be faithful with that message to pass it on to others so that you can be a part of their story? And this is a part of all of our stories. We're all called to do this. But maybe you're in the room and you're like, man, I want to devote my life to that. Maybe the Lord is stirring within your heart a call to do full-time ministry. Or maybe it's to be a full-time missionary. Will you answer his call? And the question, maybe you're in the room and you're like, I've never even thought about it. I've never had the Lord lead me in that. That's great. But if he would be willing to, if he does, are you willing to follow? Are you willing to say yes to wherever he calls and wherever he leads? Because sometimes we're like, man, I want Christianity. I love Christ. He is so good to me. Because he lets me do all the things that I've always ever wanted to do. And the truth is, guys like we are called to lay down our lives for the sake of Christ. We're to say, no, his mission is more important than mine. So will you say yes if he calls? And maybe he's calling you to say, "Hey, I'm going to go be an accountant in wherever, the Northeast, where they need Christians, they need church plants. Maybe he's calling you to be there. Will you go? The third thing that we see in this text is that God sends us to trust in his provision. That God sends us in order to trust in his provision. We see this in verse 9 through 11. It says, Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or, no, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. So as we see Jesus laying out the instructions for his people and for for his disciples to go, he looks at them and he says, don't gather any money. Don't, Don't book a hotel room. Don't even bring a second coat. But go and trust in me. Trust that I will provide what you need. Trust that I will give you a home and a place to sleep in. Trust that you will find a person in a city who is open and a person of peace that will let you stay with them. But just go. Going back to what I was just talking about, I truly think we're so easily just enamored by the comfort of our world. It's so easy for us to say, man, yeah, I'll follow Christ as long as I'm comfortable. But what if he tells you, man, leave all of your things and just go? Will he be enough for you then? Or is he really only enough if you have all of your things and your plans fulfilled as well? This passage is so clearly that Christ is teaching them and showing them, I will give you exactly what you need if you follow in obedience to me. It might not be what we want. It might not be all the riches in this world that we might want, but it will be, man, he said, I'll feed you. I will be sustaining for you. Because the truth is we can look For success and sustenance and and fulfillment in so many different places, whether it's a job, whether it's a career, whether it's uh, straight A's in schools, whether it's relationships, whether it's a place we want to live or go to school. What What if the Lord calls you and says, Forget all of that, just follow me in obedience? Will you go? The truth is, this is not an easy passage to preach because man, it hurts to even me think about it. To say, hey, whatever the Lord leads you to do, are you willing to give it all up for him? Are you willing to go? He says, don't stash any coins in your back pocket. Don't don't bring a second pair of shoes. He says, just go and be obedient. And man, this might be, hey, going across the world as a missionary, but it could also mean going across your apartment room and having that conversation with your roommate that you've been fighting to have. Or maybe it's saying, hey, I want to declare the message of the gospel to my roommate or to that person in class or to that person I'm eating lunch with. Will you be obedient if he calls you to do that? Because if so, he will provide you the words that you need to say. They might not always be perfect. You might stumble over them. But man, what needs to be said will be said because whose is the harvest? It's the Lord's. He is the one who causes the growth. So just like honestly, like my, our, me and Rachel's testimony and story since being out of college, we've, we've been pretty comfortable um we have been in positions where we are like man we didn't get that broke you know early marriage stage um which we were like man I wish we kind of had it uh, but which is just silly but it is what it is right um and as we followed after the lord like there's been times in, even in that um that has caused us completely to depend on him when it didn't make any sense uh there's the year 2020 you all ever heard of it <laughs> nah, yeah I don't want to talk about it either um But this year, right, it's crazy. The world kind of goes everywhere. Um, But during this year, uh, Rachel, like, found out that she was going to be let go from her job at the end of the year, Um, but she was, like, known that, like, in June or July, right? Um, So, like, we knew about it for months, and she started, like, getting cut down in hours and all this stuff, and I was making literally nothing um, at the church I was working at. Uh, Like, nothing. Um, Anyways... (laughs) Couldn't even, like, pay the mortgage on my own salary kind of thing. Um, like, I couldn't. Um, and so we knew her job was coming to an end, and we were, been, we were given an opportunity um, in September of that year. And they were like, man, it made a whole lot of sense. I was like, hey, man, we might be able to eat uh, come January, right? Like, if, I, if we take this position, it might make, make so much sense. Like, maybe this is the Lord opening this door at this perfect timing for us. But the truth is we spent time praying about it and the Lord was like, no. And we were like, are you sure? (laughs) Right? Like this makes a whole lot of sense. We need to be comfortable, right? We need to have a place to sleep at night, right? And so we said no. And it was hard and it didn't make any sense. And I kid you not, three months later, about two weeks after she was let go, she got a new job. Unlike this crazy LinkedIn experience, get a LinkedIn, I guess, is the story of that. Um, I don't know. It was weird and it was crazy, and the Lord was amidst all of it. And it was just like so abundantly clear that He was like, "Thanks for being obedient. I'm providing for you." And I've heard story after story of, of ministers who were like, "Man, I don't have enough money to pay my light bill." And then receiving a check in the mail. Because the Lord is saying, hey, I'm blessing your obedience. I'm providing what you need. And even if it doesn't make sense, man, will you go and be obedient? And again, that story has nothing to do with our holiness and pretty much everything to do with our selfishness. Because, man, the Lord was just super faithful in the midst of it. And he was super faithful to say, man, hey, you really want this? but it's not the time, it's not the right moment, will you trust me enough to say no now? And it's hard and it doesn't make sense, but sometimes like God knows way more than we do. Every time he does, actually. So when we can just see a piece of the puzzle, man, he sees the whole thing. Will we trust him and grow in our dependence on him when he says, hey, be obedient here, even if it doesn't make sense? Because these disciples, man, it didn't make any sense. They were like, if I just bring a few coins if I got in the back of the couch, right, like, I could eat tonight. But Jesus says, go, no, go without it. Trust me, you'll be fed. Are we willing to be uncomfortable for Christ? Are we willing to take that step for Him even if it doesn't make sense to us? Are we willing to follow Him wherever He leads, even if it messes up our five year plan? Are we willing to say, Lord, it's all yours? Every single piece of it my relationship, my job, my school, my work, my friends, it's all yours. Are we going to just say, man, I have all my things and I'll give God a little bit over here? For the disciples, it was clear they went because they recognized as they spent more time with Jesus that he was the only thing that could sustain them. There was no comfort in this world that was greater than spending time with the Savior. Do we hold on to that tonight? Do we truly depend on Christ alone? The strength to go as he sends us out to wherever you are sent out to do. Will you trust him? Will you depend on him? Will you follow him even when it costs you something? Because he gave it all for us. Will we follow in obedience to whatever he calls us to do? As we wrap up this passage tonight, it's so clear. That Jesus was not just coming here to bring salvation to all people. Does he do that? Absolutely. But he goes forward in that moment and says, not only am I going to bring salvation to all people, but man, I'm going to give my people, my followers, a mission to go. To be sent out to pray diligently for the lost. To be sent out to proclaim the message of the gospel with their lives and with their mouths. Because how are people going to come to know Christ if they have never heard his name? How are people going to believe in the gospel if it's never been shared with them? The gospel of Christ that just says we were once far from God in our sin and in our struggle, but yet Christ made the way. The, the reason we celebrate this time of year is not because we get gifts and we get to spend time with family. It's because Christ came down from heaven and said, I love you enough to be born in a manger, a, a, literally a cattle trough, the king of eternity. Said, I'm gonna humble myself to that point, and not just there, but I'm gonna live a perfect life for you, with you, a life that you couldn't live. And not only would he follow him in a life, but he would follow his Savior, his Lord, our Lord. To, to the cross, in obedience to the point of death on a cross, as we see in Philippians 2. He's willing to give it all for us, provide that salvation, provide the hope that we can have. And then the truth is, guys, like we can do all of these things we talked about tonight, but if we do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, all of it's for naught because it's all centered on the belief that we have in him and the work that he will do within us when we make that decision. But if we have made that decision, may we are called to be sent to go, to proclaim his message, to proclaim the message of salvation and to trust and depend on him no matter where he calls us to go. So as we end tonight, the question is, will you go? Will you walk in obedience to where he calls you to go? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we are so thankful for your word, that it's challenging, that it's convicting. Lord, that it pierces to the heart. Lord, we just pray that you would truly walk with us wherever we go. Lord, we recognize that that is the promise you give us, that Lord, as we go out, you are going to be with us. And Lord, we praise you for that. Lord, give us the boldness to have the hard conversations. Give us the boldness to share the message that we have, the hope that we have in you. And Lord, if there's someone in this room who has never given their life to you, Lord, I pray that they would truly just place their faith in you for the first time tonight. Lord, that they would believe in the finished work of the cross. And Lord, that they would confess you as Lord of their life. Lord, we're so grateful for this time of year where we get to reflect on all that you've done for us. But Lord, we pray that we would not only reflect on what you've done, but that we would go and do what you've called us to do. Lord, that we would bring you glory this holiday season. That we would bring you honor. Lord, as we go home here in a couple weeks to spend time with family and friends from back home, Lord, give us boldness there in those conversations. Let us proclaim the gospel wherever we go. Lord, we love you so much. Just your son's name I pray. This is your first time here at Awaken. One thing that we truly believe is that anytime the Word of God is open, it demands a response in us. And so we have a time built into our service where we just have a response time. There's going to be three questions that are up on the screen. There's nothing fancy or great about these questions, they just reflect on the message that we've just talked about. And we just encourage you that as we spend a couple moments where the band will be playing just some music, we encourage you to pray to spend time with the Father and then truly just do business with God, however he's leading you tonight. The questions tonight are first, are you devoted to praying for the lost around you? Second, how can you proclaim the message of salvation this week? And third, do you truly trust that the Lord will provide wherever he sends you? I just encourage you guys to pray through these questions or just pray through whatever the Lord's speaking to you now. I'm going to be down front during this time. If you need someone to talk to, I would love to talk to you or pray for you. The altar will be open. If you need to just come and pray or lay something down, it's open here. After this time, and the band plays just a couple moments, uh, we're going to play a final song. Um, During that final song, you're more than welcome to continue to pray. Um, Or if you want to stand up and sing, you can stand up and sing as well. Um, We just encourage you to follow the Lord however he leads. Let's pray.